The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Jahl and the Art of War Coaches. Hey folks and welcome to The Art of War. This is the OG, the original, the granddaddy, the papa of the Art of War podcasts. Although we are bringing a usurper and interloper into this one to to chat about this week's army. This is going to be a really exciting episode. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, First of all, let's introduce the co-host of this show because, as I've said before, I talk a good game, but I don't always play a good game, which is why I need today's guest to help me out a lot of the time. Uh, but John Lennon, how are you doing? Happy holidays to you, sir. I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be back after the holidays. I hope you and everyone listening had a happy, happy new year. Uh, but it's January, and uh, that means that we're all getting ready over here, at least, for the Las Vegas Open and the end of the season. But spirits are high, the weather is cool, and uh, we are, uh, we're here to go. Nice one. Yeah, well, and with that in mind, the LVO, John and I were talking about maybe doing the next couple of three episodes, particularly with a view to the LVO and some of the maybe outsider lists that have come up. To be honest, over the last few weeks and months, we've talked Drew Carey. We've talked, uh, you know, all the usual big armies till we're blue in the face. But there are still some other lists, some other armies that could be dark horses for the LVO. And this is where this week's episode and this week's guest come in. So let's introduce him before we uh, do anything else. Brad Chester, welcome to the OG Art of War. The OG. I just got done doing the pistachio, as Mr. Blake calls it. (laughs) So I'm back to backing it. I'm giving you guys a little bit more energy than I gave him. I'm not telling him, but this is happening. I'm bringing the the heat on the the OG here. The braddest of all the brads is with us. Um, I wanted to ask, actually, are you two okay? What with uh, you know the the ITC rankings and the way it all played out at the end of 2021, John Lennon just just making that little jump to the top of the list there. Brad, are you all good? Are you okay? Are we emotionally yeah, that, that, ready to take it, this episode? It, well, I it, here's the problem: you got you got the young guys in, and they saw me get COVID, and they saw my moment of weakness, and as soon as that happened. <laughs> Boom, he went to a tournament and snuck over me as number one in the world. No respect for your elders, you know, none at all. He just pushed me. He saw me limping down the stairs and he just gave me a quick push. He's like, get very out of 40 here. K. That's exactly. a very 40K <laughs> way to play, isn't it? The the young king coming in, riding over the top. Um, all right, I've got to tell people how this works before we do anything else. Uh, and this is it. So two parts of this episode of The Art of War. The first part is we're going to go through a list uh, of this week's army. We're going to go through the list in detail and talk about how it works. Brad's designed a great list, and we're really excited to talk about it. But we want to know what's in there, what's not in there, why the decisions were made. We want to know about the HQs and what relics they're taking and what uh, warlord traits they have. And we want to know about the psychic powers and all the different choices and the buffs and how they complement each other and what thought processes have gone into making the list the way it is. This is a lesson in list building, and it's free. I mean, you have to pay some people for a lesson in list building, but this one you get for nothing. Then in part two of the episode, which we do ask you to pay for, go and subscribe to The Art of War 40K at theartofwar40k.com and get part two of this episode. And then we're going to find out how this list competes against other top tier lists at the moment, how Brad would play it into 
the Drew Carries of the world and the Orcs and the other big lists that are out there. So uh, let's crack on with it. I guess the first thing to do is, uh, Brad, find out what's in this list. Talk us through top to bottom what you got. Top, I, I sent you two. We're going to talk about the the craft world. The craft world going with the Dark Eldar, or we want the craft world going with the... Because right now, Brad is in an LVO journey, a tailspin as it might be, and I want to know what's the best, and I'm going to test so many games until we get there. So uh, I've got two at the top. So will we like the craft world Dark Eldar is where we're going, gentlemen? I think that's John's call, but that sounds like... Do you think that's the most competitive one? Do you think that's the one we're likely to, to more likely to see at LVO? You are more likely to not see this in LVO. I'm a dark horse there. <laughs> I'm coming out of the nowhere with this one. They're like, who is this right. guy and what is he doing? But what would you like to hear about, John? Would you like to hear about clowns? Would you like to hear about Dark Eldar? Uh, I, I want to hear, hear about this Dark Eldar craft world mix because I have literally zero faith that Brad is going to take Harlequins to Las Vegas. Uh, Brad's <laughs> coming down here before a list of missions. You're going to have to play against me, and then you're going to be like, hmm, you're right. Harlequin's just not there. <laughs> so let's talk about it. First off, let's go with the craft world. So we have one thing to take when you're taking craft worlds, and that is expert crafters and masterful shots. Reroll a hit, reroll a wound, and ignore cover, which is a big deal. It's huge against a lot of armies. With A lot of armies have different units that have just bonuses, especially with their cover save, and I do not want that happening. So we've got a Farseer Skyrunner, Guide and Doom on him. And I hemmed and hawed about Doom and either Executioner or Guide, but I feel that it's more important to give me some rerolls on some of these, these other units we're going to have here. I've got a Warlock Skyrunner Conclave, which I did because two reasons with it. It's got, they get two powers. They only get to cast one, but it makes it so that I have options available so I can do things like Possibly use a uh, psychic secondary and stuff and quicken him back. Uh, I just have that in my back pocket. Typically, I'm going to cast a lot of Protect Jinx. And that Warlock Conclave gives me the option to cast that at 36 inches, which is outside of everybody's deny range, so I can reliably get that off. I've got two Guardian Defender Squads, just 10 man. And those are really just for shenanigans and to shoot something that's doomed with those 20 shots, looking for those AP3 shots on the sixes, and do some... Fire and fade shenanigans, put an obsec body on an objective, take it away for a turn. Got two single hornets with double bright lance on each. And then I've got two four-man Dark Reaper squads with each Exarch with a Tempest Launcher. And Rapid Shot is his Exarch bar, getting him one extra shot there. Two Night Spinners, both with shenanigan uh, points on them, just so I can make them uh, to the last target. And then I've got two support weapons, just two Shadow Weaver, individual Shadow Weaver batteries, and a unit of Warwalkers, both with double Bright Lance on them. And then we get into, that sounds like a really good shooting army. Uh, somebody needs to punch somebody, and none of those Craft Row guys are able to do it. So we outsourced that, and we got some Dark Eldar in here. We, we made up, we had a truce. So I've got an Archon, the Punchy Punchy Archon with a Gin Blade and full rerolls on him. He comes with a four-man Court of the Archons, so we can get a little bodyguard action in there. Got a Succubus with Competitive Edge, Trip Tech Whip, so she can go in there and put the beats on people. Three units of racks, because OPSEC is always a good thing to have. Two units of five Hellions, and a unit of Scourges, which are basically there to do rods and get killed. 
<laughs> rods engage and salute everyone and get and die. And that, my just, friends, is the list. It's it's amazing how much you can fit in, right? With Eldar and Dark Elder, how much you can fit into two thousand points <laughs> as a guy who plays mostly slightly more elite armies. This is just like God. How many units are there in this? This is incredible. The only you thing with why the they're a dying race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They keep saying that, but they're crying. Anytime you're driving around in a planet, it's always a nice thing. Hey, what yeah, are you yeah. driving? I'm driving a planet. You know, you should check it out. Let's. Uh, I know there's so much to go through with this, and there's so many uh, different things that are obviously in the list for different reasons. You've already touched on a couple of things, but there are some that stand out as being super important. That ability to ignore cover and reroll a hit, and is it and a wound or and a wound, or a wound? and a wound and a wound. Okay, so that that's that's pretty huge, right? And particularly with things like I don't know, storm shields hiding in buildings and giving themselves zero up and one up saves. Being able to ignore cover is good and re-roll a hit on uh, weapons like heat lances. That's pretty amazing. And the big thing on it is I've got a lot of smaller squads, so I'm tr- trying to really abuse those rerolls because a lot yeah. of these squads operate by themselves. Because when you're shooting four sh- four big shots like a bright lance. Rerolling a hit and a wound just puts so much consistency on those small units and actually makes them perform a lot better than normally you would see them. So you can you can actually be away from rerolls and stuff like that. You don't have to have the full captain, uh, chapter master type thing on everybody just because of the fact that you're getting so many rerolls with those those uh, craft world attributes with them because of the fact that you're I have so many small squads with that. So I, I'm trying to really abuse that. And the the other thing that stood out for me was that that ability to have a thirty six inch cast and stay out of deny range must be uh, oh, super good. It, it's so big. It's it's one of the things that I've I've really hemmed and hawed about though. It does make them not a character, so they're targetable. So there's not a ton of indirect in here except for <laughs> John's uh, Tyranids, which will kill them in two seconds. Uh, I'll get to cast Jinx one time unless I uh, basically just tell him their characters, John, and use a little bit of the force, but. Uh, I heard he doesn't he doesn't fall for those tricks. So, but against a lot of armies, it's fantastic. I want to put it on Templars, Sisters, anybody that has one of the four up deny strats that are all within twenty four inches, or just denies casters, Green Knights at plus one. I can get that Jinx off, which is just so so valuable because a lot of the times you're shooting and, and getting those seventeen percent, you know, less saves from them. You just get so many more, especially when you're shooting a lot of volume. I'm shooting a lot of volume shooting. Uh, besides the Bright Lances, I'm really just going for weight of fire in this army. So getting things off like Jinx is very is, is kind of a must-have for me uh, when I'm, I'm looking at it. Doom's what I want on there, but Jinx is a lot of times what will break it over for me. And it, having one of those be undeniable is just a big, big deal for me. I know that uh, Jinx and Doom are the, the two staples of craft worlds, but for those folks who don't play craft world or don't play against them very often, what are those two powers do? So, Jinx is minus one to your save, including your invulnerable save for the unit. And then Doom is full rerolls to wound on it, basically for any Eldari craft world unit shooting at that unit, or not even shooting anything because it lasts till the next turn. So in combat, in shooting, in anything, an Eldari unit gets to reroll all wounds on that unit that it's cast on. So it's just, it's a very powerful psychic power. I mean, probably one of the best psychic powers in the game, to tell you the truth. It's just so yeah. big. 
I'm gonna say Jinx sucks. As <laughs> I just, I'm running around with four up saves on my storm shields all over the place. When that becomes five ups on a unit, that's just man. It, I don't. It's so funny because math, it's, it's, a, it, 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 it's only one, but you know, one less. But it feels so much worse. <clears throat> right. It's rough. Um, and those Dark Reapers, that's the other big thing. Uh, having played against Dark Reapers a couple of times, they're just terrifying. And it, even if it's just psychological for the other guy or the other person on the other side of the table, seeing two units of Dark Reapers with the range they have and having to stay out of line of sight of those two things, it's just so hard. Well, the thing is, is I put all that indirect in there. Like in this army, I have, I think it's 10d6 plus two because the Exarchs both have plus one shot. So I just have a huge volume of shots. And especially when you're shooting at that 11 plus thing i get those max shots on there so you're getting max 13 shots max 12 shots with the spinners six shots from the shadow weavers and it just adds up really quick uh just to get that volume to try to get that to, to force people to do stuff you know because you can't just sit against this because i'm putting so much indirect fire into you that you, you got to pop your head out you got to come do something about it because i'm perfectly happy to pop in the corners and score some secondaries and take my objectives if you're going to stay on your side i'll I'll, if I roll enough dice, eventually you'll face saves. Is what I what usually what my plan is. Roll a bucket of dice. Yeah, it it makes me happy to roll a lot of dice, John. <laughs> a lot of them have a whole lot of no AP, but it still makes me real happy to roll all the dice. <laughs> that that is that is one of my things in an army. Is I figure that if I roll enough dice, I'll get a nice curve every time. Anytime I'm rolling one, anytime you only have to roll one shot, that one shot seems destined to fail. You got to roll a whole <laughs> bunch of dice with him. You got to bring his whole family with him, and that's when you get success. Right. Um, I mean, I I love seeing the amount of guns in here, but uh, I do have a couple questions for you. Uh, the <laughs> first is, uh, well, first of all, I want to know how you score points because. I look at this list, and you know what? I've already offered Brad some criticism, but I was unhappy with his answer, so I'm making him answer me again. Um, <laughs> I put some more OPSEC stuff in here. I've actually thought about whether or not I need the, the extra Bright Lances in, and I actually think I need Swooping Hawks in here uh, to help me out with that, or just more, to tell you the truth. I'd like to have just more things, more Swooping Hawks, maybe some more things to play the mission even more. Uh, really just go double down on the mobility of it. Uh, two units of Hawks, which will probably be in my final version. I'm still kind of on the road of testing right here. I'm going to play this list at Glass City GT this weekend. So it's basically using that as a test facility, test uh, testing event and moving into LVO. But I think that I need probably two, two units of Hawks and or uh, put some more uh, scourges in here. Things, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, if I can... I'd have to put some things around uh, just to have either swooping hawks and the fact that swooping hawks can go back into reserve means that I can actually do two for ones a lot of times, especially if you're looking at things like rods or engage. I can get myself two extra points on an engage, pop up into the air, then go back over and do my other rods and again get that other engage. And a lot of times people don't want to go after a nonsense unit, you know, a 60, 65 point unit. That's sitting in your corner, not doing any damage, but it's kind of ticky-tacking out points for me. Uh, that's how I'm looking to score. A lot of times I'm looking to also <clears throat> make force people to come at me, or and I'm I'm always willing because my battle cry with Eldar is not in the face. So I'm definitely looking to stay away from most things. So, but I'm looking to hit that indirect and and harass everybody's 
base you're scoring units because a lot of times you're seeing the the bigger armies are scoring with if you go into thick city for instance uh, it wants to put racks all over the place and score i want to take all of those racks off the board so if you have the biggest toughest scariest target in the universe well somebody's still got to sit on those objectives somebody's still got to score so your big tough guy comes at me and he's in the middle of the board not standing on an objective well i'm okay with that you know i'll, I'll run away from that and try to now there are armies that are tougher to play with that and sometimes you're going to have to send in send in the power and that's why i brought the the succubus the archon and those two units of hellions are kind of my counterpunch when you get close or to fight over that middle objective so i'm looking to dislodge but the only thing about them is they are really fire and throw away they're kind of just one shot and go because those things are going to die you're going to send an archon you're going to succubus in it's going to be gone instantly after that so with that mindset of all of your units being fire and forget throw away once i you know send them out there they're going to die how do you reconcile that with scoring primary where you have to survive through my turn i get where you know if a unit of guardians runs out quickens fire and fades and is just overall annoying on my objective, that lowers my score. How are you getting points, Brad? I'm going to try to score 10s every turn is my goal. It, it really, I'm, I'm not trying to get three to hold three effort. I'm really trying to get my home base objectives. And that gets a little harder when we get into my least favorite of all missions. I hate you battle lines, and I will always hate you. But it is mission five going into LVO. So that is a problem, and I'm still working on the answer to that. Which in battle lines, unfortunately, it takes I, I hate battle lines and this is why I'm gonna go into a quick Brad rant while I talk about this. I don't like battle lines because I feel it takes a lot of the skill and the generalmanship out of it because both players are just derping into the middle because there's only four objectives and you have to go into the middle. So it takes a lot of the the dance away. It's it's a little heavy handed then. Just so, wait till Brad finds out that you have to play the scouring right after battle lines. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> and then the scouring, which no one even bothers to talk about because it's never in tournaments because it's hated so much. Uh, let me, while we're on the subject of uh, scoring points, let's talk about the secondaries you're going to choose. When you are building a list, I'm assuming you've got secondaries in mind and you've already touched on, you've got your night spinners and you've kind of bumped up their points just enough so that you can make them your two to last choices. So, is to the last like one that you're always going to look at taking it? You've mentioned engage as well in your conversation. Where are you looking at getting your secondary points here? Engage, which uh, I still got uh, made fun of the entirety of the finals in Dallas for not taking engage. Uh, Jack just kept coming up next to me and telling me I wasn't very engaged in my game uh, <laughs> and, any, and any other engage pun you could make. Uh, for that. But I'm looking at engage a lot of times with that, uh, depending on what the game is and what I'm playing against. Stranglehold's just a magical secondary. It's always very good, depending on what you're playing against, of course, if you can't dislodge somebody on a third objective. But engage, I take rods just a, a ton of time with this army because of the fact that it's just so easy to score. So I always like to take consistent points. And unfortunately, because of the fact that you don't have a book secondary there, uh, I have to look at the something for the third. The third actually becomes much more difficult, which is why I built in a to the last into this army because of the fact that I don't have uh, an oath, a herd to fall back on uh, with this particular build. So it, a lot of times I have to look for what am I going to take for that third? A lot of times it's going to be a no prisoners, depending on what I'm going to play, because I am planning on 
using that artillery as much as possible, really whittling them down, depending on, of course, what they give up and no prisoners. But it's going to be a, a no prisoners to the last situation a lot. Uh, I'd like to say I could take in a bore the witch and just tell them not to look at my psychers and go, no, 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 those guys aren't psychers. They just have big hats. It's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just do magic tricks. It's no big deal. So things like uh, Stranglehold, it feels like uh, to the casual observer looking at how much shooting is in your army that getting people off objectives, except for on battle lines, <laughs> except for Strangles, Stranglehold would, would almost always be a great option. It, it is. It, Stranglehold is just a really solid secondary period. It's just whether where you think your opponent's going to go. Like There's certain armies that are very difficult to move away um, in, in early turns. For instance... Uh, Black Templar's army, I feel I can whittle that army down over the course of time, but I might not be able to get Stranglehold for a turn or two because of the fact that I want to stay away from them. I don't want to be bad touched by all of those Black Templars. So a lot of times that's going to make it so I'm going to have to take an engage or something different because I might skip a turn or two. And I have to look at weigh the pros cons of how many points I can get out of there. Because with any secondary, I'm looking to hopefully get a 12 plus in that game because i'm always sitting at because if you look at even just look at statistically scoring 80 plus points i think is you win 70 percent 70 plus percent of the time and if you score less than that it drops way off to basically coin flipping it if you score less than that so it's such a big deal to get to those type of or at least have the ability to get to that type of points when you're building a list or trying to play the game and you're looking at the game. Uh, I typically try to predict what I'm going to score, what my opponent's going to score. And I always keep track of my points right now, my opponent's points, of course, but then also what the predicted points are, because that'll change how the game's played a lot. If John and I are playing right now and I get up by five points, cause I deny a secondary steal, a, a, a primary or something um, i can now play defensively because i know that he has to go into me he has to bring he has to take points from me uh as the game goes on so it, it, it makes a big difference on and where the points are and what i'm predicted to score another question i've got for you around this list and I'm, because i've heard you talk before about you know just being able to maintain uh performance over a period of two days or three days or you know however long the tournament is going for in a whole bunch of games and wanting to keep it as simple as possible so that your brain is still active and engaged, you know, at the end of day two uh, and into day three. Uh, how do you feel about just the number of units and the number of different tricks and having two different um, books kind of combined together? And, and how does that play into your thinking? The thing is with it, I took it. The only reason I really thought about switching to this instead of just what I've been playing before, I played a huge amount of Dark Elder games over the course of the year. And I've played back and forth a decent amount of Craft World over time. The Craft World's been the army that I've played the most over my 40k career. I played Craft World since I started uh, for 21 years now. So off and on, I'm fairly familiar with it. And the, because of the list has so much shooting and has so much indirect, I have the potential to also finish games quickly, and you need a couple games where you get a little bit lucky, you get a little bit faster of a game to keep yourself mental. The mental fatigue just sets in, so you need the, at least the option of being able to finish a couple games and not be as grindy over the course of you know eight, eight, nine games when you're looking at one of the longer tournaments here. So I like the just the ability in LVO to have at least the option where hopefully I can get a couple quick games 
with the firepower that I have and just get off the, the board and go eat lunch and go go up to the room and settle down for a minute. Because the mental fatigue is a real thing over the course yeah. of, of a game. And if you have to uh, strive and think and worry about things uh, a lot over too many games, you're just going to make more mistakes because you're just going to have that mental fatigue that's going to set in. I feel like this army has the ability to do that to the other guy just because you've got so many units and so many tricks and so many ways of making, you know, messing up someone's game plan. And this is the issue I've had playing Craft World, uh, playing against Craft World previously, is you go in with the game plan and you think this, this, and this, but they move so fast and they've so many little tricksy things to do and different units that can do different things that actually you end up going, oh man, now I'm going to have to rethink this whole thing or shift to the other side or. Do you know what I mean? It kind of the mental fatigue. Oh, yeah. You, you have so many you have so many plays that you can do, and you're so quick that and the thing is is that Craftworth hasn't been played that much recently. So you also have that where people aren't getting a ton of reps into it. So I was looking for into this and the practicing. One of the questions was, can I use something that's a little off meta and counter the meta and put something that people aren't used to playing? Because there's a lot of to be said for playing things that people aren't playing. If I just brought like a thick city list, for instance, every single player that's going to LVO is going to have a couple, at least a couple games into thick city and have a, what they're going to do into that army. So I, I thought it was a really, I was debating on when I was debating on what I was going to take. It was a big deal in the fact that can I beat 1200 players that are all focused on one army type? Yeah, you know I mean, and the answer is maybe, but Maybe I'd like to do something else and counter that, you know, because I know what kind of armies, you know, you talk to everybody and what kind of armies people are bringing to counter the the top armies. And then I'm I'm going way down the rabbit hole because I'm countering the counter right now. So, <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about Hopefully. that part too, but whenever you counter the counter, you need to think about what they were countering and just make sure you're not forgetting it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> 100%. If you can beat the counter be thick city lists, you better not lose to thick city, Brad. Yeah, exactly. You're going to finish <laughs> knocking out all the counters and realize it's you locked in the top eight with seven, you know, seven times seven, nine talos. Seven thick city. <laughs> and I can't, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about the uh, the different ways, the different buffs and the different stacks you've got in there. Are, things that, are, are there things you've got there? And I'm thinking the way it all works together and, and you guys, John and Brad, when you build a list, I know that a lot of thought goes into just stacking things and looking through the book to make sure you're absolutely maximizing the potential of each kind of unit that you've got by layering up the different powers and warlord traits and relics. In this list, the, one, the biggest go-to is the fact that Doom works so well, especially with the shuriken weapons and things like that. Those are The shuriken weapons are just terrible. But with full rerolls on them, you're you're looking for sixes at that point in time. You're a lot of things you're going to be winning on fives, fives and sixes. You're getting that full reroll, so those weapons actually perform very well because all the sixes, instead of being AP absolutely absolutely donut, are AP three, AP four, depending on which one you're shooting. So it's a big deal to have know what you're dooming and put that on. A lot of times, I've actually split them up because I want the volume and the AP on the one side, and then I want to kill two targets this turn. So I'll put Jinx on a different target that I'm going to put a with maybe a good, good invul save, and I'm going to shoot Bright Lances at them so I can get them down to five, six, whatever their invul is there, and then put all that volume into the other squad and just basically use let the weight of fire with Doom 
uh, take that squad down because I want to be able to kill two plus tur- uh, targets a turn. And then I've got the counter charge, which is the succubus, the archon, those two units of hellions. While they're counter charged, they can extend the board out. The hellions move 14. The the succubus, depending on what I put on her, is either going to move eight or ten. The archon moves eight. They have a, they can really extend that board out and get some very good charges on that. And you can especially use some shenanigans with that. In test games, I've actually done some really crazy things with just fire and fading because the slit the slith has a gun, shooting that and then fire and fading her up with the squad. And then after the Archon fights, whatever he fought, they're still within that bodyguard range of him. So a lot of times your opponent has to waste a lot of shots on those three wound uh, bodyguards. So I've got 12 wounds in that squad that they have to get rid of before they can shoot the units that they want to shoot. Especially if you can finish a fight on a different side of a wall, they might not have as many options. Or killing that Archon might just be very, very uh problematic for them in the fact that they're going to have to allocate things and put them in a place that they don't want to be back basically going backwards going sideways not going towards my objectives so and the thing is is he still has a two up save until he he fails a two up involve so sometimes that guy can just spike up and you have to plan on that though so you can't just send three melted guns into him you know he might just two up every single one of those and just go, okay, I'm fine. And you still have an Archon sitting there. So you usually have to over dedicate to him. And when they over dedicate to him, a lot of times that pushes things way away from me or gives me an extra turn or two where I'm not having to deal with those units that are dealing with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, do you lose much by um, having two different armies? Do you, what do you lose yeah, uh, from big. the craft world? With Craft World, you lose absolutely nothing because they have the second oldest book in the game. So they don't even <laughs> understand. They don't even know what uh, faction buffs are. <laughs> they just—they're just a book. <laughs> they're not even—they're not even aware we have a new edition. They're just still chilling out. So no one's told them yet. But the the Dark Eldar, you lose quite a bit. You lose the invuln save that you're getting. You lose power from pain. The power from pain chart, right. which you don't start with the six up invuln. You don't have advance and charge. You don't get the plus one. Uh, Weirdly enough, the, the thing that I, I actually told John on a phone call the other day of this, the thing that I thought I would miss the most is advance and charge. I didn't miss it as much because I'm using it as such counter charge, so I was usually just close enough anyways. The thing I missed was having just a random invuln save because it can just skew the math a little bit. So it's annoying not to have that uh, in there. That's the one that actually uh, I was surprised at in playtesting that I would miss that more than the advance and charge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you you definitely miss with the Dark Elder, not so much with the Craft World. Fair enough. Um, John, I'm out of questions. Uh, I don't know what else you got. Oh, not not to worry, Steve. I have so many holes to put in. It's just so <laughs> soft and spongy with these Eldar units. So uh I I kinda wanna I kinda wanna go through the playstyle a little bit more. Because uh and again, I've already posed some of these questions to Brad, but by golly, I'm squeezing more out of him here. Um there's a this list looks like it has a lot of indirect, as you bragged about. You've got 10d6 plus two shots. Two. Don't forget the plus two. I, I said plus two, 10d6 plus two, which I feel like you're very leave proud of. Exarchs alone, they, they, they've been practicing to get that extra shot. I don't want you to shortchange them. So um, you've got a little bit of direct fire. You, uh, you've got like, what, four bright lances off of the, uh, the Warwalkers. And then you've got uh, two uh, bright lances off each hornet, right? So you've got eight Correct. bright lances. 
Yes. Okay. So it's 10d6 plus two indirect. You've got a lot, a little bit of, you know, pittering small arms fire from all the different units, uh, which can, of course, be buffed with Doom and Jinx. And you've got eight Bright Lances. And six. And then, of course, you get the six solid shots from the Reapers. Yep, solid shots from the Reapers, because, uh, you know, they've got long enough range that they'll sometimes be tempted to step into line of sight of one thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, they they barely peek out. They like to just see what's happening, guys. Hey, guys, what's going on over there? There's one line of sight to the farthest thing on the left. Yeah, that guy. Let's let's see how he's doing. Um, I, I get your tricks. But what I'm looking at here is you've got a ton of indirect and... Uh, all of your direct line, uh, range weapons that have any kind of long range are on, as you can guess, very squishy platforms. And most yes. armies that are going for this kind of play, I know I think of my Tyranids as an analogy here. When I've got my indirect and a little bit of direct, I try to limit what my opponent can see rather than use all of my direct at the same time. Because I stick the whole army out at once, I lose all of the direct shooting, and then indirect may not be enough to carry me through. Correct. So what I'm looking at here is when you have all of this indirect and direct line of sight that's hiding from people, your opponent now loses the benefit of hiding. Where some people will do this by default and it's a mistake, but I've noticed that some of the better players, one, they can analyze, hmm, my default position of behind the wall is not actually going to help here. You ignore cover, I don't need to touch it. You ignore line of sight, I'm like this ruin... Frankly, this doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm going to deploy it facing, you know, in the far back of my corner, and I'm going to deploy on the line because all I want is a straight line in between me and Brad, and I'm going to go there as fast as I can. And once I get there, I'm going for the face. Yes, and uh, both uh, as I put in my wrote DLV, I did my my con pros and cons list. One of the cons for this list is a stern gaze kills most of my units. So, <laughs> but but. What, I'm, what so, I'm kind of going at here, I'm sorry, just to provide more context okay. for the audience. I know Brad already knows what I'm going for here. Um, my problem with this mindset on Brad's part is that it gives the opponent such an obvious one thing to do that they're going to all in it. You know, a lot of 40k players, especially higher level ones, don't want to commit all of their, you know, their entire game plan to one tactic, one strategy. Like, this is the only thing I can do. I'm going to put all my chips in this basket. Most people don't want to do that. I'm risk adverse. I don't like doing that. But if Brad is like, well, I have ranged you no matter what, I can see no matter what, you don't get cover no matter what, well, then there's no longer a reason for me to deploy anywhere other than on the line. That's the only place I should go at that point because nothing I'm, else I'm gonna, matters. I'm going to have to hit flanks very hard, and I've played a decent amount of games with this and versions of it. This is an evolving list. But going very hard into a flank, I do have enough speed typically to go somewhere else if someone crowds me very very hard and i'm also going to take some reserves webway gate kind of you know uh coming in things that can just free deep strike uh and bring things in things like the war walkers that can just free outflank i have the ability to do that so i can then it is problematic sometimes but i have the ability to just leave and just use eldar tactics of run away and again, not in the face was the battle cry. So, and even the indirect, uh, night spinners are moving 16, you know, so you, you have a, a ton of ability to do these things. And the fact is craft worlds can just advance and still shoot everything but the heavy weapons with no penalty on that. That is their, that is their bonus, which no one ever bothers to remember because no one ever plays it, but you can just get the hell out of Dodge and just try to go somewhere else on that, which I'm totally okay with. I, I'm okay if somebody goes up really, really hard on me, I'll go to the other side of their board and try to take their objectives back from them. 
Now, this isn't always the easiest thing to do, but you you still have to try to play that. And that's why I think that I'm going to put probably some more free deep striking things like Hawks and stuff into the final version of this uh, to, to give myself even more options to just kind of get out of the way. So the Hawks continue. is actually exactly where I was going to go with that because, um, you know, I've I've played armies that can redeploy. I've played armies that can deep strike. And redeploying and like going fast is okay if you're going around your opponent. It's not very good at going through your opponent. Because if you know, in <laughs> something like Hammer and Anvil, like let's say on retrieval, your opponent deploys on the line, they go first and they run forward. Now it's like, eh, they're incredible threat range of five out of six objectives. And if I quicken, you know, my units over them, I'm just instead of being 10 inches in front of them, I'm going to be 10 inches behind them. Behind I'm them. still getting thing. charged. Exactly. I'm still getting charged. So yeah, there's, there's hogs and stuff like that. And then there's just trying to go hard into certain flanks more. So is basically limiting the amount of people that can get to me in a turn. So if you're coming very hard on my front, I'm going to move either to the right or the left, whichever one I think is weaker. I'm going to try to weaken that side by shooting only that flank of those units. And I'm going to try to put something to speed bump it in, uh, Cough, cough, guardians are going to get killed. And <laughs> there's going to be people that are going to try to speed bump to make it so you're not giving me another turn, basically. I want another turn always. That's kind of the motto of that army is I want one more turn of not getting touched, which is also why that countercharge of the Dark Elder is in there. You need somebody to be able to finish off, kill some units on that. And that's what I'm going to be trying to do. Because even if, the, again, those Dark Elder units are fire and forget units, I'm going to hit that one flank as hard as I possibly can with shooting, and I'm going to send every one of those Dark Elder units up to try to mop up whatever the weakened units are. Because there's never a reason to fight 10 guys when you can fight one guy with your 10 guys in the alley. I feel like we're getting dangerously close to what we should be discussing in part two Absolutely. here and some of the some of the real sort of deep tactical thinking in the way you're going to play. I would ask though if you if you thinking about including sweeping hawks, what are you dropping at that point? Dropping the hornets at that point in time because of the fact that I can look for uh different options for that cuz I don't have the fast attack slides at that point in time. And I I am a CP junkie at that point in time because of the fact that I burn so much on a lot of different strats. So I, I don't want to get into another detachment, so it, it depends on that, but I, I, it'll probably be the Hornets, and that'll actually give me some extra points uh, moving forward into that. Okay. Uh, since you brought it up, while we're in part one, we better discuss CP and strats. That, that, that's something I should have touched on earlier and didn't. So what are the strats you, you use? Typically, uh, most armies will have two, three, four strats that you're just going to bring out through the game, uh, and then it's, additional yeah. ones occasionally. Right. It's... I'll fire and fade uh, depending on the game to get things into to steal an objective to get things where I want to be uh, to just fire those reapers and then basically back them back up things of that nature. But the the bread and butter of this is I use Seer Council a ton. I use the double the the range on the Warlock power of the Warlock Conclave to get that thirty six inches on my Jinx uh, almost every game. Uh, all the time. And then, of course, just the threat of the redeploy for 2CP is such a big deal because you can deploy uh, defensively or aggressively, but and just the fact that your opponent knows that you do have the ability to redeploy means that they have to watch all of their flanks because if somebody sticks their butt out or has a couple things that you can possibly get, uh, you can put all of your threats on one flank or the other there. And that's just a really nice stratagem to have just as the threat, because it usually let mains people play a little more defensively 
just be or deploy a little bit more defensively because of that's just an option. I don't want to do it because I don't want to burn CP, but I'm going to do it if you just leave me a bunch of tasty targets sitting on one side of the board because you saw that my all my lances and stuff are on one side. I'm like, well, if you're going to leave that guy just standing there uh, waving to mom at home on the TV screen, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna say hi to him. Yeah, yeah. As it's, far as it's often the, the threat of a thing though is is very often. And talking to you know you guys top players. Very often you hear people say it, that the threat of a thing uh, and telling your opponent about it very openly and seeming because, you know, gentlemen gaming, right? We're all about doing the right thing. But telling your opponent pregame, oh, by the way, for two exactly. seconds, <laughs> I can shift these guys all the way over to here. And that just forces, right, all the hiding forces people to deploy or do things in a certain way. And then I've just got the option of the double, basically the double fire and fade because I've got two different styles of fire and fade too. Uh, strife strats. Um, so that's really the... I use a lot of the same things every single turn. So I'm going right. to, and this is one of the few armies that I actually use uh, CP for rerolls. I typically do not use CP for almost any rerolls except for to keep somebody alive in a game swing. But I typically, a lot of these psychic powers uh, for the Warlock, for instance, I really, really want off. So I, I do feel it's worth a reroll, for instance, for a Jinx to go off when typically I do not spend very many CP on very much on rerolls almost ever. Right, but you don't have to. You don't have to spend them on rerolls for shooting your bright lances because you know yeah. you've got that 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 built reroll in, built in. So that that must say you start the game with seven CP, but that auto saves you so many CP. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's such a big deal. It just in that built-in reroll a hit and reroll a wound uh, it does save you a ton on that because you're never really tempted to to reroll uh, others on that. So you're not burning CP on that. But right. there there is a thing to have those in. in in weight though, because there's a couple other things that you you want to threaten. I don't I hardly ever use, but if you're within six inches of the farseer, I can overwatch my entire range of my guns. So, or not overwatch, but um uh auspic scan. <laughs> Basically right. hit anybody that comes in from reserve. So that's a huge threat to just have that two CP sitting in the board. <laughs> and it doesn't happen a lot because people don't do it, but just telling your opponent if you come in from reserve. And any of my units within six of this Farseer can see you, I can shoot you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You know, that that's just another one of those threats to tell your opponents. So the same thing as the the redeploy. I'm not going to use it a lot, but you have to play a little bit different because I could just shoot your unit that you think is going to rod off the board before they even get a chance to do it, or whatever's trying to come in, you know. From reserve, I might hit them with lances and with reapers, with whatever kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second. Uh, what's going on here? I, I don't yeah. want to be shot by any of that stuff. Yeah, 100%. Face, face that before. It's it's just, make, again, it's just one of those things that make you as, as makes the opponent kind of go, well, where am I going to put these poor wolf guard with jump packs in? Where do they go? I wanted them to go here so they could do the charger. I wanted them to go there for whatever. And then suddenly, but... That's not going to work. Okay, right, crap. Because they might die. <laughs> so yeah, replan. Yeah. All right. So uh, are we good and done with part one of this, John? Have you got any more? No, I think we're good to go. I am uh, raring to go. I'm ready for part two here. Ready to uh, you know really uh, put the clamps on this. We're ready for Great the Brad stuff. thing. Yeah, we're we're ready for for John to do the John thing and Brad to do the Brad thing, folks. That is part one of this episode about Craft World mixed with a little Dark Elder just for spice. Uh, we're going to come back with part two and talk about all the matchups. So whatever army you play, 
you will learn how this army plays into yours and some of the tricks they can do and maybe some tricks that you can do against this army if you're going to come up against Craftworld. Maybe they're popular, as they are here uh, where I am. They're, they're real popular in the local meta. Craftworld is still getting a lot of tournament game time, which is great to see. So if you want to, please go over to theartofwar40k.com and sign up to be a, a member, and that way you get part two uh, and then part two of all of the other chats, including the usual uh, Brad Chester chat with our friend Blake Law as well. Uh, and we've got Adam Camilleri and we've got so much more in the the war room. Get to the Art of War uh, 40k.com, sign up, be a subscriber, and we will see you in part two of this episode. In the meantime, for those folks who are opting out now, Brad, I know you do coaching and you're a big part of the Art of War team. How can folks find you, get hold of you and and get to see more of you? They can see me on theartofwar.com. They can come in. I'm available for coaching. I'm on pretty – I feel like I'm on every clinic that's ever been held. So if you want to <laughs> if you want to talk about tactics in the war room, you're going to see my face all the time. You're going to be like, there's a lot of that old guy doing clinics. Come on over and talk to me. I love talking about 40K. Uh, we're in the Discord also in the Art of War. I love talking. We have sub-factions set up for everything in the entire game. So if you're a fan of any faction, we've got it for you there. Nice. Good stuff. Brad, thank you so much. John, thank you. We'll see you and everybody who is a subscriber and everybody who's about to be a subscriber in part two. This is The Art of War. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.